0: Hey, why don't you guys grab a seat? We'll get started here. Hey, we have Easter! Yeah, we do! Yeah, we do. Coming up in four weeks, there is an invite card that is there in your bulletin. Here's what I recommend you do. Take this invitation card and put it somewhere to remind you to start thinking. Because we can't love without thinking. Think about who you can invite to Easter Sunday, which is coming up in four weeks. On that day, uh, we hope to have a baptism. We do baptisms at various times in the year. But here's what I want you to hear about this. If you have not been baptized since becoming a believer in Jesus, you need to. It is the public declaration that I have crossed over the line. I've made a break with my former life. I am now following Jesus. And so, I was infant baptized, my parents made a commitment to bring me up the right way, which is kind of funny, as I think back on my life before I became a Christian, um, there was a fail somewhere there, but as much as I appreciate my parents' commitment there as a six-month-old baby, it was not a declaration of faith in me, it was a commitment on my parents' part. And so that is why we encourage you, once you become a believer in Jesus, to be baptized. If you're interested in talking about that, we would love to talk about that more with you. Um, today, I'm speaking on that dream within a dream. <laughs> marriage and I need to start my timer because this I have a lot to say about this. You know, think about this. this uh, we are all over the map on this topic. We have on the far end of the spectrum, we have Brandon and Sydney, who I believe are the most newlywed people. There's a beautiful day, and here as they listen to this talk, they're bound to think, man, marriage is easy. What are you talking about? Marriage is hard, it's a piece of cake. You guys could learn some stuff from us. That's the far end of the spectrum. Then there are people that have been married for a while, and it's just been good. You know, it's the sort of person that says, yeah, that first year of marriage was hard, and the, the last nine have really been beautiful, and, and you've become best friends and you're soulmates, and, and you know, I'm kind of jealous of that. Uh, my wife and I are soulmates, and we are best friends, but our story's a little different. It's more like, well, yeah, the first 22 years have been kind of hard. You know? I mean, in all honesty. And then there's some of us. Did I hear an amen on that? <laughs> That's awesome. And then there's others of us here that are in the midst of great struggle, like it's tipping, and you're not sure which way it's going to go. And, and talking on this subject, on this topic, is just difficult. Uh, it, you, you experience loneliness. You, you think, is this all the all that there is. Many of us here in this room have already experienced the pain of rejection or the pain of betrayal which led to divorce. And then there's others that are single that are like looking ahead and longing for what I'm about to say is really, really hard. So, we're like all over the map on this topic here today. Here's what I want to say, the first thing I want you to hear. By the way, you need to bear with me, I've never, I'm, I'm going out there and teaching with as little notes as I possibly can, so, and my phone is not cooperating with me. Here's the first thing I want you to, to hear on this topic. The Christian understanding of marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant. The idea that every couple, when they get married, says for better, for worse, richer, poorer, and all that, sickness and in health, that's a uniquely Christian perspective, that this is not a contract, that this is a covenant. It is not 50-50. It is 100-0. If, if my wife fails to honor that covenant, I honor that covenant, and vice versa. That's what makes it work. It is a uniquely Christian perspective, and that is covenant. There are two primary understandings of this covenant. The first is called egalitarian. I spoke about this last week. The egalitarian perspective is that man and woman are equal and have the same roles and responsibilities in marriage. We've been made equal through Christ And there are really no gender differences. The complementarian perspective is that we've been made equal in Christ. Man and female are equal. But that there are different gender callings, that there's a different calling on the man than there is from the woman and vice versa. I hold the complementarian view, and I'm going to teach out of that view. But if you're an egalitarian, good for you. As long as you love and honor your spouse and you're obedient to what Scripture teaches, that's a beautiful thing. What if you're married? What if you're a complementarian and you're married to someone who's more egalitarian? Well, it's working for us. It is because we're committed to one another. So I want you to hear that here. This is not a core issue. We don't divide over this. This is a middle issue where it's important to talk through, and that is what we're going to talk about here today. Second thing I want you to hear is that we desire deep companionship, but we stink at it. And I mean we as Americans. The divorce rate is so high. It is obvious that we really, when we We sing about it, we write poems about it, there's great movies about it, but we don't know what it is when it comes to covenantal love, which is what I wanna speak on. So here's what I wanna say to you guys. Here's, as we listen to this talk, and especially if you're married, there's a specific way you need to listen to this talk because you're gonna be tempted to think, boy, I'm really glad my spouse is here to hear this. I'm really glad that he or she is, is listening, and we're going to be tempted, as I see right here, to elbow one another. I'd encourage you not to do that. I encourage you not to just stop and stare, okay? If you want to do anything, a gentle cough would be appropriate. Just grab their attention. <coughs> so if I hear that throughout the sermon, that'll be totally, totally fine. Now, I say that in all jest because I do want you to understand God wants to speak to you today. Whether you're divorced, married, or you're single, I believe that this topic, to begin to understand what God has called us to is really crucial and huge, and I encourage you to listen and ask God to speak to you. So can I pray for you and pray for me? My goal is to get a smile out of my wife at the end of this teaching, and we'll just see how that goes. So let's pray. Great God, thank you for creating us the way you've created us. Thank you for revealing yourself through this topic of marriage. We don't want to look to culture to coach us. We don't want to look to our feelings to coach us. We want to look to your word, and we ask you to do so, to speak to us here today on this topic, and we pray that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Okay, I want to take a few minutes and share a foundation on this topic in Genesis, and then we're going to look at Ephesians. We have a massive amount of stuff to talk about here today. I have some hard things to say to men. I have some maybe not so hard things to say to women, which we probably won't even get to because we're going to spend a lot of time looking at men. So uh, that's my goal here today. So Genesis, Genesis 127. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. I love what G.K. Chesterton said about us. We are walking, talking statues of God. Male, Hebrew, zakar, and female, nekeva, he created them. So God created this beautiful thing called gender, and what that really means, the bottom line, is that we should be able to look at the opposite gender of what we are or even at one another, and just say, I see godlike attributes in you. I, so I shared this last week. When I see my wife in her tenderness, I think that's godlike. And I think that that is healthy perspective on gender. Chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, this is a portrait of marriage. Marriage is God's creation. It is not man's invention. It is God's creation. And the woman at this point, sin has not entered the world, and the woman feels good about being a woman. She's never been objectified before. She's never experienced misogyny. She regards her spouse, Adam, as her equal and vice versa. This is the context of what we see in Genesis. So, God created mountains and said, it is good. God created the oceans and said, it is good. And God created marriage and said, it is very (laughs) good. Nice. Then we reach Genesis 3. And we have this mood music change. Genesis 3 describes sin entering the world and affecting everything, affecting our understanding of gender, affecting our understanding of of marriage. And there's a strangeness to this. Satan enters the garden, the the beautiful world that God has created, and approaches Eve as a snake, as a talking snake snake and Adam is there in the garden like hanging out and watching and being all passive and it's like Adam what are you doing so it's important you do not need to agree with me on this this is a middle ground issue but God created man and woman hand in hand in dominion over creation but God gave Adam responsibility for the garden And when sin enters the world, God comes looking for Adam. Dude, what did you do? It's as if God said to Adam, I'm about to create something really beautiful, that is, Eve. I'm about to create something really beautiful, and you are to protect this place. So I want you to understand that there can be a difference in responsibility and yet still equality in relationship. And a lot of us have gotten hung up on this. A lot of women have, have been made to feel inferior. Maybe that's by some distortion of the Scripture. Maybe that's from their uh, upbringing in childhood. But we, we talked about this phrase last week in our talk on gender. The helper suitable for the man was the woman. The helper suitable, and, and it feels inferior. But that word in Hebrew is Ezer konegdo. Ezer And it is a strong term. The word ezer is used, God is my helper. So, like, that's huge. When I I say to God, you're my helper, who has more responsibility here? I mean, God runs the universe. (laughs) And yet, he is my helper. And so, I think the best interpretation of that is probably warrior princess. The point is, there is equality here between man and woman in the garden, and then we come to sin entering the world, and the world becomes fallen, and we're going to look at one verse, Genesis 3:16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I want you to just look at that last sentence. Now, the relationship that was complementary, that was not in competition, is broken, and men and women are going to compete with one another. So the scripture says to the woman, your desires for your husband. And what this means is that you're gonna want to control him. The reason we know this is in chapter four, the scripture, God says to Cain, Sin desires you, but you must master. And it's the exact same word. So it's saying to the woman, You're gonna want to control your husband but he shall rule over you, this is not a good thing. This is, this is the man, you're so broken, you're going to want to dominate. So, both genders are now in competition because of the entrance of sin into this world. Okay, now we're going to turn to the New Testament, and we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul told us about marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of, imitators of what? Culture? Imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, let me just make a really simple point. You can take one verse in the Bible out of context, just rip it out of context and make something that's beautiful really ugly, correct? And much of our world does this. And I just want to make this very clear point. You've probably never heard this before. The context of what God has to say to husbands and wives about marriage starts right here, in verse 1 and 2, and he says, walk in love. What God is going to say to a man is you as a man, you need to walk in love as a man. And what he's going to say to a woman is you need to walk in love as a woman. So the context of what Paul is going to say about marriage is found right here in these verses about love. Verse 3. That is not chapter 5. I don't I'll just, I'll just. That's the wrong verse. Uh, I'll just tell you what it says. So take that slide down for a minute. That's not bad. <laughs> Paul writes right after saying "walk in love." He says, "Awake, O sleeper, for Christ shall shine on you." So Paul, after speaking about love, he says, "Wake up." Why is he saying "wake up"? Why would Paul say? Guys, let's wake up as we think about this. Because marriage in the first century, in Paul's context, was an absolute mess. It was a train wreck. And Paul is telling Christians, you need to think differently than your culture. So, in that time, in that culture, Jewish men would pray God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile, that I'm not a slave, and that I'm not a woman. Isn't that horrible? Men had the power of no-fault divorce. So the idea this beautiful image in Genesis is lost in the Judaism of the first century. It was no better in Greek culture, except Greek men didn't need to divorce because they typically had a concubine, which was a non-married sexual partner, kind of like a prostitute, and then they had wives just for children. So, Demosthenes, a Greek man, wrote this, we have courtesans for the sake of pleasure, we have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation, and we have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and being faithful guardians of our household affair. So, can you see how horrible this is toward women is? You're either the object of sex alone, on the one hand, or you're only for children. This idea of being this equal partner in life was gone in Greek culture. And Romans, it was no better. Except in in Roman culture, women were more competitive toward the men. They wanted to be like the men. And so women would often engage in sword fighting and wrestling and shirtless, topless boar hunting. And they would often take the first step in divorce because, again, the beautiful complementary perspective of Genesis was lost. And so Paul says, wake up, because culture was so adrift at this point. But then came the life of Jesus. And we see in Jesus a breaking of every cultural boundary to express love and respect and honor to women in a way that was astounding. And unheard of, unheard of in that time, unheard of. And then came the cross of Christ, which was meant to be a divide. It's as if God is saying, I want you to think totally differently from this point on. The way I would put it is this, the cross of Christ is meant to be the end of misogyny and inequality. We see this. He died for us all. So we see in the life of Jesus this beautiful honoring of women. We see Jesus dying and and, and kind of putting a divide in, in the road. And then we see the spirit of Jesus coming on his apostles who then wrote this. So Paul Under the inspiration of the Spirit, said, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, does everyone see the equality in that verse inspired by Paul? Now, I know that some of you really struggle with what feels like chauvinism in Paul in some scriptures in the New Testament. And those are verses that we will eventually get to. But I just want this to sink in that Paul wrote Galatians 3.28. And his intention was to honor women and to establish. It was to end the misogyny that he saw in his culture. So let's, uh, let's go a little deep with some difficult stuff here. Ephesians 5.21. Ephesians 5.21. We are fast-forwarding here, and it says it, this is written to all people, all human beings. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want you to notice that this is mutual. I want you to notice that this verse is not written to just women. It's writ- written to men and to women. So it's men to men, men to women, women to men, wait, all over the place. In fact, I think what it's saying here is in the center of a harmonious relationship is submission. So let me define this for you. Submission is just what it says, submission. I'm putting my mission, my goals, my desires under yours. You want to eat at Anthony's for pizza? Okay, that's fine. It's a mutual submission that we see here. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to, we're going to look at what Paul has to say to men, and I hope to get to what Paul says to women as well, but you're going to have to follow me. I'm going to be in fifth gear. Is everyone okay with that? Okay, fifth gear. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How? How? as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word verse 27 so that he might present the church to himself in all in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish verse 28 in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself verse 29 For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Verse 30, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. One flesh, oneness. The goal of marriage is oneness, intimacy, cleaving to one another. Cleaving to one another is like it's a glue. We're cemented together. And I want you to notice something, and maybe you've never noticed this, but in this section about marriage, there's 12 verses, and nine of them are to the men. Nine verses out of 12, it's like Paul says, I need to speak to you men, and he just talks, 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 and then he says like one thing to the women, and then he go- goes back to the men. So, why is that? Why do you guys think that is? Thick head. Thick head. Amen. Nothing more to be said. Like, it's, it's like It's as if Paul says, I really don't need to say a whole lot. And you know, last week we talked about gender. I know gender is such a controversial issue, but I think gender is a beautiful thing. I think it's a beautiful thing that women have more oxytocin, which is the binding chemical. It's the relationship chemical. And so here, I think one of the reasons that Paul is speaking so much to men, because like the women are so relational, they don't need to hear it, but The men do. It's so funny. It's so funny to me. My wife and I went on a double date. I wish you guys were there just to see the difference in the way my more relational wife related on this double date in comparison with me and my buddy. So at one point, at one point, Jana reaches out, And holds the hands of her friend. They are speaking tenderly. There is love and trust and vulnerability communicated. I'm looking at this and thinking, this is awesome. It's so beautiful. And me and my man were like, what's up? (laughs) Let me tell you, we weren't holding hands. There was much less words. It was less expressive. Why? Because women are relationally wired. It's beautiful. It's a great thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why. The second thing is I think that, like we talked about last week, one of the gender differences is in our white matter and gray matter. And men have more gray matter. And what that means is we're tunnel-visioned. And so what happens is you get married, or let me just say what happened with me. I got married It's like great career. And it's like, let's, let's just go. Let's get it done. So who is it that tends to neglect the kids or their spouse? And so Paul is taking more time to speak to men on this. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. How did he do that? How did he love He did that by being in heaven as God and saying, I'm going to humiliate myself through servanthood. I'm going to come down in human form and then go all the way to the cross. That is how Jesus loved us, and that is what men are called to do in the Scripture. And I just want to reiterate what I said last week, that Jesus said to his apostles, when it comes to leadership, he said, not so with you. In the world, leadership is about power and prestige and privilege, not so with you. Leadership is about service and sacrifice and responsibility. The heart of biblical masculinity, what we are teaching our men, is a heart that is committed to sacrifice and responsibility and love. Let's think about this for a minute. If men were obedient to Ephesians 5 25, think about how different our world would be. What would happen to the divorce rate? It would plummet. If only men were committed. Think about the number of kids whose lives are kind of train wrecked from a distant angry dad. If only men would take responsibility. Think about how many wives feel neglected. If only men would step up and be men. So you may not agree with me on this. But I think when God entrusted the garden to Adam, he was saying, this is precious and you fight for it because my concern is not with her, it's with you. And so we as men here, we want to stand up and we want to be leaders in the context of how Jesus modeled this for us. So men, we're called to love our wives, to tell our wives we we love them. Our wife, let me clarify, wife. (laughs) And to say it more than once, to recognize the attributes about them that we love and tell them what we love about them. And to lead our relationships. And if you have no idea, ask your wife, because she knows what the next step is. Took me a long time to figure that out. All I need to do is ask Jana. She knows where this relationship needs to go. Now, I want to take a few minutes on God's words to the woman because I think there's a lot of damage that's been done in this area, and I hope to redeem the word submission. I hope in the next few minutes to make sense of that so it's not offensive. So let's look at verses 22. 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands, and then let's look at verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So what are you feeling right now? You don't need to answer that, but get in touch with what you're feeling right now. What feelings are raised in you? Are they feelings of inequality? There's five things I want you to notice here about this this word. First of all, we've already defined it. We've already defined it. Submission is saying, I'm going to put you first. It's really, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul speaks about love, he says, love does not insist on its own way. I want you to notice, secondly, we've already said this, is that whatever is asked of the woman here is asked of the man, earlier in verse 21. Like, who submits more in our marriage, me or Jana? I'm not sure. We are very mutual in our serving and our caring and are submitting to one another. So, I'm being very serious when I say I'm complementarian, and she is more egalitarian, but we are committed to loving and living out what Scripture says here. We try to care for one another's needs. Now, again, you may not agree with me on this, but I think what God is after in this section is He's calling us to meet one another's primary needs. So, as a man, do I want to be loved? I do. But I I feel a greater need to be respected. And this may not be true for all of you. You can disagree. You can be different. That's fine. My observation is that women want to be respected, but, but really crave being loved. So, again, you don't have to agree with me on this, but I think what God is after is saying, meet your spouse's needs. I know for me, and, and maybe I'm saying too much here. Maybe I'm crossing over a line, and some of you men might say, man, that's not me at all. But for me, when my wife says, I respect you, it's like, I will storm the gates of hell for this. You know, I will enter into any dark place. You believe in me, and I will stand up, I will love, I will serve, I will sacrifice, and I will never stop. If I'm emasculated, I'm like Adam. I wish it wasn't that way but I will go passive. And so I think that the Scripture is speaking about the way we are wired and addressing that. The other thing I want to say is we submit all the time, don't we? You guys pay your taxes this year? Yeah, you did. You guys stop at red lights? Yeah, a little. I'm not going to go into uh, driving how fast we drive. The analogy will break down totally here. But my point is, it's, it's woven into the fabric of all society. And I think some Christians just make too big of a deal out of it, honestly. Did you notice that it was summarized right here? If we say, men love, women submit to your husband, and then there's a summary in verse 33, and notice that the word's different. It says, so, you know, respect them. I think maybe a better definition, and this is on your notes in the app in case you haven't uh, looked at that. There's a lot of notes there. I think a better definition is to be easily persuaded by. It does not mean to be silent. That is a grotesque perversion. It does not mean, in my perspective, it does not mean that the man has the final word. Mm -hmm. What kind of a relationship would that be like? Like, hey, let's talk about this, how to raise the children, you share some thoughts, and you, well, here's what we're going to do. Is that loving your wife? as Christ loved the church? I don't think so. So, it's a nuanced word where the man and the woman are both called to put one another's needs above their own. Do we, do we see that? That is the heart of what Paul is after here. So again, back to these views, the egalitarian view treats gender, the verses in the New Testament that refer to gender, as being non-issues. I believe the complementarian view, and the reason I love the complementarian view as one passive man that will uh, duck from responsibility is it calls a fighting spirit out of me. So, church, I I just want you to hear this. We need to not run from hard Scripture. We need to dig into hard Scripture and see what is this really after. And in summary, what I have said here and my understanding on this issue is we are to mutually submit and we're to meet one another's needs in marriage. And men are called to die and to commit themselves to their home, to their kids, to their wife. If we go back to the big picture of this, what is this all about? It's all about covenant. And let's look at verse 32. This verse is a strange verse in the middle of this topic on marriage, in the middle of Paul saying, men do this, women do this in marriage. And then he stops and he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. It's as if Paul says, you guys thought I was talking about marriage, didn't you? I'm actually talking about the relationship between God and his people. It's a marriage. There's a oneness between God and his people. And marriage, when we love one another and honor and care for one another, it gives the world an image of what God has done for us. Because in order to purchase a relationship with us, Jesus left heaven and said, I'm not letting leadership be a thing of privilege or prestige. I'm going to come down and die. And in the garden, he submitted. He said, not my will, but yours be done for the salvation of the world. These are beautiful things that are tough for us to wrestle through, but there is beauty if only we would look hard and long. So once y'all stand up, let's pray and we're going to move into worship. I hope this has been helpful. If you have questions that you want to interact with me on, I invite you into that. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that you pour out on us. Thank you that each of us is loved by you. Loved by you on our good days and our bad days. On the days where we don't agree with you and we fight you. On the days that we wander from you. Your love for us is relentless and unchanging and powerful and freeing. We thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself to us. Through the cross of Christ and we come now we come now to worship you and celebrate all you've done and it's in his name Amen.